Amen. Well, good morning. If you've joined us a little bit late, we are so glad that you found us this morning, and uh, we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, that you uh, enjoyed uh, the people that you were with, and uh, that you uh, we're just grateful that you've set aside some time to worship with us. Wherever you are and whoever you're with, we're glad that you're worshiping with us right now. And uh, I just wanted to uh, kick this message off. I was thinking about this series Uh, And as Pastor Zach mentioned, we're focusing on simply Christmas over the next few weeks. And as we thought about, as I thought about that, a story came to mind um, with our first Christmas with Keaton. We had Keaton in November, and so uh, we were looking forward to sharing him with family and friends and introducing uh, some of his grandparents to their first grandchild and and some things like that uh, over the Christmas series. And... um, our plans got a little bit uh, disrupted when he had to have surgery right at a week before Christmas. Um, but fortunately, everything went really, really well, and he was given a clean bill of health and cleared to travel and everything else. So we loaded up the van, and we headed to Heather's grandmother's house with her mother's side of the family, and uh, we had a wonderful time with them. Uh, spent one night there, loaded up the van, and went over to her dad's side of the family, spent an evening there. Loaded up the van, headed up to my parents, and all I really remember from that Christmas was loading and unloading the van. Um, And it was just, there was so much stuff, you know, and we were new parents, so we had everything you can imagine. We had a high chair in there, we had a bouncy seat, we had the pack and play, we had lots of changes of clothes, we had everything we could possibly need, and uh, it was a good thing that we had a full minivan with the seat down so that we could get all that stuff in and out. Um... And so after three overnight stops and, um, and everything, we headed back home, and uh, we were exhausted. And then the next year, we did pretty much the same thing, uh, and we were exhausted again at the end of that. And interestingly enough, uh, the third year with Keaton, uh, we were pregnant with Ryan. I should say Heather was pregnant with Ryan. <laughs> she was very pregnant with, uh, with Ryan. She was eight months pregnant, a little over eight months, and so our doctor advised us that it would be best not to travel. And so we were sort of forced to stay close to home. And uh, man, we liked that. Uh, we didn't load or unload the van a single time. We just stayed home. People came to see us. And the following Christmas, we pretty much put the word out Y'all come see us if you can. We're going to be right here. We're not going anywhere. And people did make uh, a point to come and see us and to be a part of our Christmas celebration. And in the years following that, we made increasingly deliberate shifts to simplify Christmas, to reduce the materialism and the binging on presents and things like that, and to just really focus on the Christ of Christmas and the people that we were with. And uh, we've never really regretted that. And so I tell you that story because there's a good chance that 2020 is going to force you to make some adjustments to the way that you normally celebrate Christmas. And that might not be such a bad thing. Um, I want to encourage you to look for the blessings of a simple Christmas and make perhaps a deliberate shift in the future to make sure future Christmases enable you, create the margin, create the space for you to focus on Christmas and the Christ of Christmas. So this new series, Simply Christmas, is focused on the heart of Christmas. And today we're going to talk about simplifying Christmas and by extension, maybe simplifying our lives. Uh, The subtitle, as Pastor Zach mentioned, is that the first Christmas was pretty simple. 
and it's okay if this one is too, that even this Thanksgiving and the start of Advent are different, and we don't necessarily know why uh, that sound is coming. Um, we're going to work on it and do what we can with it. I don't know if it has to do with something I'm doing or uh, something that's happening up there, but hopefully we get that resolved. Um, either way, it's okay if things are a little different. Look for the blessings, look for the opportunities, look for the uniquenesses of Christmas that enable you to, to really worship Christ. And part of the outset of this we have to really talk about a little bit is this idea that has kind of made its way into our culture and into our minds that Christmas is, is supposed to be big. It's supposed to be elaborate. It's supposed to be complex. And if, if we forget that simple is not necessarily bad and that complicated or elaborate or busy is not necessarily good, then we might forget the real point and the real meaning of Christmas. There's a quote that has spoken to me pretty frequently over the last few years. It comes from one of my favorite authors. Her name is Alicia Britt Chole. And the quote says, Winter is not a punishment. Summer is not a reward. May we not mistake bare for barren or full for holy. And as I was preparing this message, that quote came to mind, that content, that concept came to mind that sometimes we think things are a punishment or a reward that really aren't. They're part of the natural cycle and season changes of life. And the things that are simple aren't necessarily bad, and the things that are complicated and elaborate aren't necessarily good. So I, I sort of modified that quote with a paraphrase of my own. And I, I said, simplicity is not a detriment. Complexity is not a benefit. May we not mistake simple for boring or complex for better. And so 2020 might end up being the simplest Christmas you've ever had, or at least the simplest Christmas you've had in years. But I believe it could also be the best Christmas you've had in years. And that in the midst of that simplicity, you might find a peace, a shalom, a, a wholeness, a prosperity, a health, a, a rest that you haven't experienced at Christmas for some time. And most years, people tell me at some point around Christmas, oh, you know, we're just going to try to focus on the Christ of Christmas. You know, Jesus is the reason, Pastor Mark. And, and yet it can be very, very difficult to actually cut out the clutter and do that. So perhaps... This year, 2020, will give us a unique opportunity to do just that. I want to share a couple of passages of Scripture with you. The first comes from Matthew chapter 1. So I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible nearby or you want to pull one up on, a, on, on your phone um, and follow along, you're, you're welcome to do that. We'll have the New International Version on the screen as well. But I want to read the angelic announcements to Joseph and to Mary, the, the parents of Christ. And we'll start with Joseph, and then we'll, we'll look at Mary. Uh, Matthew records it this way in chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, in these couple of paragraphs here, you get the sense, if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, that this was definitely not the way he had planned it. It was not the way he had played it out in his mind. This is not the way that he had sort of laid out the the course of his life. You see, he's confronted with circumstances that are out of his control. Mary is pregnant before they're even married. And he's a righteous man, we're told. But imagine the inner turmoil that that would create. That the woman you're pledged to be married to is suddenly and very obviously pregnant. And it's not your child. And that confronted him with a decision that he had to make. As, as her pledged husband, he basically was forced to either sentence her to death, which is what the law would require to, to have the community stone her to death, or he was going to live through a scandal and bear the, the public opinion and all of the rumors and gossip and everything. And he struggles with this. He, he considers it, we're told. He considered it. And then an angel of the Lord comes and shares a lot of interesting information with him that would have been very, very hard to believe. And on top of it all, he doesn't even get to choose the name for his firstborn son. It's not going to be Joe Jr., The name is given to him to give to this child. Now, Joseph could have thrown a fit. He could have aborted the mission, quite literally. He could have played the victim. He could have pouted. He could have sulked. He could have whined. He could have posted a rant on social media or just at least shared a bunch of sarcastic memes. And it got harder for him before it got easier. Even after he makes this decision... He finds out, hey, guess what you get to do now? You get to travel several days journey with an eight-month pregnant wife uh, who there's going to be all kinds of rumors and all kinds of sidelong glances. And then you're going to get to town and uh, there's not going to be a place for you and you're going to actually have this child in a barn. (laughs) I remember how relieved uh, we were that My wife didn't have to travel all around to our little Christmas circuit when she was pregnant with Ryan for two, three hours at a time in a temperature-controlled vehicle. I can't imagine putting her on the back of a donkey and walking for days. But instead of all that, instead of throwing the fit, instead of the social media rants, instead he stayed open and flexible and faithful. In fact, verse 24 sums it up beautifully. When Joseph woke up after this angelic announcement, after this dream, he did what the angel of the Lord told him and took Mary home as his wife. It took a lot of courage 
it took a lot of faith. And it took a lot of obedience. Simple faith, simple obedience. To accept reality as it was and walk the path that was set before him. So I think we can learn a lot from Joseph when things don't go our way. And a lot of things haven't gone our way this year. How will we respond? We can also learn from Mary in in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We read a very similar account, a parallel story, if you will, as Mary also exhibits a humble acceptance of her situation. Luke tells the story this way, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, this would be the sixth month of of John the baptizer's pregnancy or or after Elizabeth uh, had been announced that she was with child. In the sixth month of that pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So things are going pretty good so far. Like this is kind of what you want. You want to be greeted as one who is highly favored and then be told, Don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. But this is where it takes a turning point in verse 31. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Push pause here for a second and imagine that you've never heard this story before, and you're hearing this firsthand for the first time as a teenage girl. What would be going through your mind? And how would you respond? Mary's response is, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. And so as Mary receives this life-altering and potentially life-ending news, her response fascinates me. She doesn't say, are you sure you got the right address? She doesn't say, how could this possibly happen? She doesn't laugh. She doesn't shrug. She doesn't do a lot of things. If you read your Old Testament, when people have received angelic announcements, sometimes they laugh. Sometimes they act in disbelief. Her question says a lot. Her question in verse 34 is, how will this be? Not how can this be, how could this be, but how will this be? It's evident that she believes it will happen. She's just not quite sure how. And that's a valid question to ask. But as she gets the response, as things are made a little clearer to her, she makes a very important decision. In verse 38, she puts her life in God's hands. She says, I am the Lord's servant. 
May it be to me as you have said. Her response when she says, I am the Lord's servant, it couldn't help but remind me of the movie Hamilton or the play Hamilton, if you've seen it or heard it. At the end of that, as Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr are going back and forth, setting up the duel that would end Hamilton's life and Burr's political career, they signed, they wrote a number of letters, and at the end of each letter, they had what seems like kind of a funny signature. They said, I have the honor to be your obedient servant. And it's somewhat sarcastic, but that was a common way to close a letter at that time. And it made me wonder as, as that thought lodged in my mind and as I considered Mary's response to this really earth-shattering news, for, for her anyway, was to ask, do we really recognize or understand or realize the incredible honor we have to be God's obedient servants? That the God of the universe would, would look at us and would make provision for us to come into the family of God, to become servants of the Most High God, to join Him in His redemptive mission in this world, to bring about His rule and reign in every place and every time. Do we really understand the incredible honor we have to be His obedient servants, literally and seriously? A couple of years ago, I read a book by Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ. It's one of the great classics of Christian literature. It was written hundreds of years ago. And there was a little prayer that I picked up in there that, that repeated itself a number of different times in some form or fashion. And I, I began to copy it at the end of each journaling page. I would save two lines and I would write out the sentence, In simplicity of heart, O Lord, I offer my whole self this day to be your servant forever. In simplicity of heart, O Lord, I offer my whole self to you this day to be your, your servant forever. And I've got books full of journaling pages that I've written over the last three, three and a half years. And I've written that sentence four to five times a week. And it's changed my outlook on a lot of things. And there'll be times during the day where it will come to mind quite unintentionally, and sometimes I'm not always sure I welcome the thought. (laughs) But I remember that in the beginning of the day, when all I've taken in is God's Word, and all I've said are prayers, to conclude that time with God, with that statement, in simplicity of heart, O Lord, I offer my whole self completely to you this day to be your servant forever comes to mind, and I remember that at the core of who I was, that was a commitment I made for that day and for every day after that. It's perhaps my own way of saying I am the Lord's servant like Mary did, and I would encourage you to make a similar affirmation or a similar statement a part of your regular prayer life, to wash that deep into your soul so that you can also say, as Mary did at the end of verse 38, may it be to me as you have said, that as we read scripture, as we pray and, and, and journal, as we have conversations with other believers and, and God lays things upon our hearts and God reveals things to us that we would be able to say as Mary did, may it be to me as you have said. I believe that's a firm commitment that she's making that she will do her part for it to be as he has said. But I also think it might be a prayer that her life is a great danger now. 
and that if she really has found favor with the Lord, if he really is with her and for her, and all of all this really is to take place, may it be to her as he has said, for such a prayer would save her life. And so we see again in Mary that she responds with a simple faith and a simple obedience. Not a lot of fanfare, just her and God, a commitment and a prayer. And that sets up our bottom line for today, that simple faith and simple obedience make a powerful combination. In this case, they changed the world. And I think there are two main areas where this would apply to our Christmas this year and to our lives in general. That simple faith and simple obedience can help us to simplify our schedule. Not only that, that simple faith and simple obedience could help us to simplify our spending. I think these two areas are disproportionately influential in our lives, in our souls, in our spirits. Because your calendar and your check register, do you remember those? Where you would write, do you, some of you even know what checks are. They're, they're little pieces of paper that you can write. And as long as there's an account with the money in it to back it up, then, you know, you can pay for things with them. It's, it's really fascinating. There's millennials and Generation Z that don't even know what a check is. It's, it's kind of like a debit card for older people. I still write checks, like two or three a month. And uh, some people write quite a few checks. But your calendar and your check register do not lie. Nothing reveals what you value quite like how you spend your time and how you spend your money. Because these are both finite resources. And at the end of the day, they're not even yours, really. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone in it, our very lives, our next breath, belongs to God. And so what do your calendar and your check register say about you? Think about that. Spend some time on that question. And if you don't like the answer, then the second question is just as important. What are you going to do about it? Will you make changes in your stewardship of time and resources, not only at Christmas, but in the months that follow? Is there something that needs to go? Something that needs to go in your calendar or something that needs to go in your budget? Or do you have the same kind of questions about a budget as you might have had about a check register? What's a budget? Well, that's where you actually plan what you're going to spend and and put intentionality behind that? Is there something that needs to go? Are you, or when you say, I don't have time for this, or I don't have enough money for this, those usually aren't so much statements of fact as they are statements of value. I, we all have the same amount of time. If we don't have time for something that's important to God, then we've said other things are more important than that. If we don't have money for things that God has revealed are important, then it's basically saying we valued other things more. And so the question will be, if we, something needs to go, that thing could go to create margin in our lives to hear God and to respond to him in faith. But it's not always that something needs to go. Sometimes something needs to be added. Is your schedule, is your budget prioritizing the right things? Are your Christmas plans prioritizing the right things? Are your plans for the year ahead and the, the time that you will spend, the things that you will devote your energy and your resources to, are they going to make you more like Jesus or less like Jesus? 
And if you're not quite sure where to go next or what to do, maybe a good question would be, who could help me? And you could pray that prayer, God, who could help me? Who could I approach that could help me? Who seems to have their life ordered and kind of in the right place? And, you know, they have time for the things that really matter to them and that matter to God. Who could help me? Who seems to do very well with money and budgeting and and allocating their resources and practicing good stewardship? Maybe I could ask them to mentor me or to coach me. Or if, on the other hand, you've done very well and you've put habits in place and you've allocated your time in the places that you value most and, and that God values most and you've allocated your resources in the places that God values most, then maybe a question for you would be, who could I mentor? Who could I coach? Who could I come alongside and, and provide some guidance, provide some wisdom, provide some experience, but also provide some accountability? Whatever your response to this message is, I, I hope and pray that it's a, a, spo- a response in the simple faith and the simple obedience that we saw from Mary and Joseph. Because simple faith and simple obedience make a powerful combination. How will you respond this year? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, as always, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you with our family, with our friends, with our church family online. We thank you for the technology that enables us to gather even when we can't be together in person. And we pray, Lord, that each and every one of us will respond in faith to your word, that we will respond to the conviction that we have heard, not with a shrug of the shoulders or a changing of the subject, but that we would consider it and that we would do as your spirit leads. Be with us now as we respond in worship, as we respond in faith, as we respond in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.